He says, when you come to me, then I'm going to empower you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I'm going to empower you to what? Become witnesses. You see, once you are saved, you see, the purpose of an automobile is to give you transportation. Now, you can add all kinds of extra features on it. I mean, defrosted rearview mirrors and all the rest of it if you want to, but the real purpose is to drive. The purpose of a watch is to tell time. I mean, you can put diamonds all around the outside, and I understand one of the latest fads is to rob people of their Rolex watches that are worth thousands and thousands of dollars. The latest thing in the big cities, I guess, are people being accosted and their Rolex watches are being stolen. But it doesn't have to be a Rolex. If you get a good watch with a good timepiece inside, it'll do the same thing as a Rolex. The only thing a Rolex does for you, if, it, if you need it, it might make you feel like you have a little better self-image because you've got something better than someone else but it's not doing you any better job. It's not going to tell time any better. But the real purpose for a born-again Christian is to be salt, is to be light, is to be a witness in this world. And I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about understanding spiritual sowing and reaping. Understanding spiritual sowing and reaping. The reason I want to share this with you is because some people have a misconception of what's involved in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to give you some principles to operate by when it comes to witnessing for Jesus Christ. Would you turn with me to Luke, the 8th chapter? Luke, chapter 8. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it, and some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He said, I hope you're listening to what I'm saying to you. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, uh, he said unto you, It is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is what? Seed is the word of God. Say it, the seed is the word of God. I want to get that down in your heart. The seed is the word of God. That's the only spiritual seed that we have to work with. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they had heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. And that on the good ground are they which, in an honest good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. Now will you turn back to Matthew, the ninth chapter. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherds. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. That word send forth in the Greek is ekbalo. It actually means that he will cast out laborers into the harvest field. Point number one that I want to share with you this morning concerning understanding spiritual sowing and reaping is that the Lord, Jesus Christ, is the Lord of the harvest. There in Matthew 9.38 it said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest field. I want to try to encourage you and correct you at the same time by telling you, first of all, that you and I cannot save anyone. You and I cannot lead anyone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in our own strength and our own power. All we can do, according to the word of God, is to witness now remember that a witness is someone who tells what they have personally experienced. If I can get this across to you, I want to tell you this may be why some people are not witnessing for Jesus Christ because they may not know something definitely as a personal experience and therefore it's hard for them to share it with someone else. 
until you have known that you know that you were blind and that you had no hope whatsoever, that now you see, until you can say there was a time when I was dead in trespasses and sins, but on such and such a day, at such and such a time, I was born into the family of God and made alive and quickened by the Spirit of God. Until that happens, you have no witness. You see, it's not enough to say, well, I was baptized, or I belong to such and such a church, or such and such is my pastor, or my husband, or my wife goes to church, or my parents. That's not it. You have nothing to say. I mean, you might as well be quiet. A witness is one who can personally say, I have received life through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only witness we have. There is no other message of hope in the world. I told you, there's only saints and ain't. They either have it or they don't have it. They're either lost or saved. And if you're saved, then you have a witness to give. If you're lost, then you need to get saved before you try to even give a witness. I'm not talking about being a part of a church. Let me tell you something. Churches today are filled with people who have never genuinely received Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior and Master of their life. They're religious and lost. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about being baptized. You can get baptized a thousand times over and still not be saved if you've never repented of your sins and trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. I mean, where you say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you were, you were nailed to the cross for me. You were buried in my place. You rose again in newness of life. And I received that death in my behalf. I acknowledge that I died with you and I'm going to live a new, the new life of Christ in me from this day forward. I am going to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ by personal faith. Lord Jesus, in my heart, save me. Make me to be your child. That is the experience of the new birth, according to the word of God. Now, until we have that, we can't be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. Once you have accepted Jesus Christ, you become the citizen of another kingdom, the word of God says, of the heavenly kingdom. We're only, I'm sure that most of you know the song, This World is Not My Home, I'm Just Passing Through. I want to ask you something, and I want you to think about it for a little moment. Where are your treasures? The Word of God says, do not depend upon riches here on earth because they can fly away overnight. And I was thinking the other day as I was reading this book that I received, it's really a, a if you if you got your, your, your hooks in the things of this world, they can be disturbing to you. Because it's talking about the monetary system in the world today. And it's let us know that this whole monetary system worldwide right now is only based upon printing money. There's no value to it whatsoever. There's nothing backing it up whatsoever. And as fast as they're printing, they can print money, they're printing it and printing it and printing it, sending it all over the world and trying to keep this thing afloat as long as they possibly can. And I thought in the back of my mind one time, well, you know, maybe a guy should get a little bit of bullion, a little bit of gold and just set it aside because if this thing whole, whole thing collapses, that'll be a universal monetary piece of material, currency. But then I read that back in the 1930s when they had the big depression, they passed a law that it's illegal for you to have any gold. You may have paid $300 per ounce of gold, but the government wanted to buy it back at about 30-some dollars an ounce, and you had to sell it back to them because it was illegal, illegal for you to have it. Well, if you think it was bad back then, when this thing collapses this time, now let me, let me, let's, let's get on it. Where's your treasure? If this bothers you, and get you all upset. And you better find out where your treasure is because it can all disappear overnight. This time when it all disappears, they'll know where every piece of gold is in the United States because now whenever you buy a piece of gold, they write down your name and your social security number. They, everybody knows where it is. And if they call that all in, they'll pay you in worthless money. And then the computer system is going to be set up here in the very near future where you won't need any money. After all, why should you be robbed of the money in your pocket? You just carry this little card or this later on, a little thing will be put under your skin and, and you can't buy or sell. You can't do any of these things. I don't even remember the exact words, but it means that you can't buy and you can't, you can't own property and you can't sell property and you're just shut out. In other words, you'll go to the computer and say, where is such and such? And they say, he doesn't exist. And if you don't exist, you can't get into the monetary system. You can't go to the store. You can't do any of these things because... The only thing you'll be able to do is barter at that time. So you better get some things together if you want to start bartering in that day because that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. But that's not going to last very long. But we're in the last days. What I'm trying to say is we need to understand that the things that we have in this life are temporary. That which we see is temporary. And our real work on here on earth is not to accumulate, but it's rather to take things that God brings into our hands to use for his glory and to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ before it's too late. Jesus said we must work while it's still day because the night cometh when no man can work. 
I want to tell you something. He said that 1900 and some years ago. How many of you believe that that time when no man could work is very much closer than it was then? Jesus Christ must become the total source of yours and my life. He must possess everything that we have. Now, let me get this clear to you. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have things. I'm simply saying that when they're in your hands, you have to say, Lord, it's not mine. I keep my hand open. It's yours. How would you have me to use this? You said it's required of a steward that he be found what? Faithful. What's a steward? One who handles someone else's property. Lord, this is your property. If you don't believe that, let me tell you something. It can be gone overnight. Then whose is it? Say, Lord, I have these things in my hands, but how do you want me to use them? How can I glorify you? How can I honor you with those things you put in my hands? I can't tell you how many times I have had funerals, funeral services of very, very well-to-do people. And again, there was no U-Haul trailer behind the hearse. It was all left behind. I've seen many cases where the, the, the attorneys and the judges just ate up almost the whole estate. Here they held on to it desperately all through their life, not going to let it go in case I need some security, and afterwards the attorneys got it all, or unsaved relatives got it all. The Lord wants us to be wise, as stewards, to make sure that even if anything happens to us, our money is designated to go into the Lord's work somewhere, to continue on what we believe. I was devastated one time. A woman said she wanted to have a, an opportunity to invest in the Lord's work and put her estate into the Lord's work. And I said, well, you need to do that. Go to an attorney. And she kept asking me questions. I said, look, now, I don't want to advise you legally, but you go to this attorney. He'll help you do it. All of a sudden, she fell ill. And she had hundreds of thousands of dollars in her estate. And before they, she even got out of the hospital, they said she wasn't going to come out of the hospital. Her unsaved relatives went in and just tore the whole house up and were throwing furniture out in the yard. They got everything she had and didn't even make a little plaque for her over her grave. All that she'd worked for all those years and her heart was toward the things of God, all of it was lost to unsaved relatives. You see, she had forgotten early enough in life that her purpose for being here was one thing, to glorify God and to be a steward of His and a witness to what He's done in their life. If you and I can learn that one thing, you are not your own, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your mind and in your spirit, which are Christ. That's the first law of sowing and reaping, to know that Jesus Christ is your source and he is your life. And when you and I work and live and walk and talk every day, we do it only by his authority and his direction, his power, his wisdom and his laws. Otherwise, it's absolutely fruitless. Let me say that again. There is nothing you and I can do in our own strength that is fruitful or helpful for the kingdom of God. You say, now, Brother Webb, that's pretty strong. Okay. Let me confirm it again. If, I, if it doesn't, isn't in the Word, don't pay any attention to me. John, the 15th chapter. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot. It's impossible as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine. By the way, there's nothing wrong with the vine. I never find anything in the Scripture that says there's something wrong with the vine. It's always the branches. And remember, no grapes grow on the vine. They all grow on the branches. Christ is our source, and he lets, wants fruit to come out through us. Not in the vine. We are attached to the vine, but the fruit has to come through us. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Jesus said, I have chosen you and I have ordained you to go and bring forth fruit. Reproduce after your own time. Now, if that's why Christ has called us and chosen us and ordained us, and then in the book of Acts chapter 2, he empowered us, why aren't the saints doing it today? Well, that's what we hire the preacher for. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, says that God has given, Christ has given to the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists for the edifying of the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. I used to think that it was the pastor's job when I was a brand new Christian. I got straightened out very quickly. That's not the pastor's job. I'm to feed you. How many of you know I'm from Nebraska. We raised a lot of cattle, but if you ever came from a farming community, you understand that the shepherd or the farmer doesn't bear sheep. The sheep do. The farmer just feeds the sheep, shears the sheep every once in a while, and once in a while he has to chasten or, you know, straighten some sheep out and make sure there's no billy goat kid in the crowd. 
But it's the job, it's the task, it's the purpose, it's the calling, it's the ministry of the sheep to bear sheep. If you have a healthy flock, it's supposed to bear sheep. And I know we've got knowledgeable people in this body that know the Word. The only thing I want to encourage you to do is to see that the calling, the purpose for which Christ has redeemed us, is that we might be witnesses to those around about us. He says, I have chosen you. You say, well, he did choose you, Pastor. No, 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 don't put Pastor Webster right there where it says, I have chosen you. Write your name. Write your name in there. So you can't transfer that responsibility to someone else. Jesus is speaking to believers there. He says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. You say, well, Pastor Webb, you're ordained for the ministry. No, no, no. That's not what he's talking about here. It's the same principle, but he's saying that every one of us are supposed to be full-time witnesses. You know, you heard people in full-time and part-time ministry. I got news for you. Every born-again Christian is supposed to be in full-time ministry. 24 hours a day, we are to be the gospel according to Jesus Christ. When people read us, I mean, how many people do you know that are unsaved today that go around reading the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The only gospel they're going to read is the gospel of you and me. They look at us, and if you don't think that's true, if you've ever witnessed to them and told them you're a Christian, and you goof up one time, what do they do? Aha, aha, yeah. You call yourself a Christian? I saw that, aha, sure. I remember working in a place one time, and I made a statement, and the person thought that I swore. And he was on me. I mean, like a monkey on my neck. Aha, aha, old deacon here, I heard you, I heard you. I said, you heard what? I heard you say that filthy word. I said, what are you talking about? And he told me, and I said, well, ask the person I was just talking to. He said, no, that isn't what he said. Oh, well, he said, I, I didn't think it was, but I, I was going to catch you if it was. I thought, man, they're right there to get you. Why? Because we're supposed to be light in darkness. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be a witness. We're supposed to be different. We're, the word of God says we're supposed to be death to the dying, and life to the living. What does that mean? When unsaved people come around you, they sense that they're dead because they sense life in you. Is that what they sense? Is that what they sense in your life? You have to understand that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the harvest and he has appointed us as his laborers in the harvest field. And I want to tell you something, if we don't get busy, we're losing the harvest. Over in Russia, they said they've got plenty of food over there, just no one to go out and get it. No one will go out and harvest it. There's just no motivation to go out and harvest it. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Secondly, the seed is the word of God. Look at again there at Luke 8, 11. Now, the parable is this. Luke 8, 11, The seed is the word of God. I want to tell you something. I have planted seeds in the past and found bad seeds. I planted seeds in the past and found bad soil. And the seeds wouldn't grow very well in bad soil, but... This seed is always good seed. When there's no harvest, don't ever blame the seed. We need to be casting this seed out continuously because no one will ever be saved except by the provisions of this seed. Let me say that again. No one will ever be saved. No one will ever receive Jesus Christ outside of the provision found in the Word of God. Look at Romans in the 10th chapter with me. Romans chapter 10 beginning with verse 13. Paul says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved... How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, without one who declares, if someone doesn't tell them? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So then in verse 17 it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now that word in the Greek is rhema. It means they hear from God. God speaks to them. Now he speaks through his word. He will speak through you by the experience that you have had and faith will come to those people based upon what the word of God has to say to them. This is why many times you'll see people who profess to be Christians who are preaching the word and God will honor the word and people will get saved whether that person is saved or not. God will honor his word regardless. There are people that, that have in the Old Testament were casting out demons. And God honored them when they, they did it. Even in the New Testament, that when they, if they used the name of Jesus, there was authority. No one can become a Christian unless they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Jesus said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
No one can be saved without believing that Jesus Christ is God himself, God incarnate, that he was God incarnate here on this earth. And today he is seated at the right hand of the Father. We must believe that he not only came, but that he rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father. None can believe until they hear the gospel. It doesn't make any difference how much they know until they hear the gospel so that the Holy Spirit can begin to bring conviction to them. The hearing cometh by the word of God. They can't be saved. Now, that means that no one can be saved and no one can hear until someone tells them. Now, I wonder who is supposed to do that. Matthew 28. Matthew, the 28th chapter, beginning with the 18th verse. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, write your name in there. Go ye, therefore, and actually in the Greek it says, As you are going into all the world. Go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now that call, that, that declaration, was the final order that Jesus Christ put forth, that you and I are to go to the ends of the earth. And again, the Greek says this, as you go out the door, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, under the uttermost parts of the earth. You and I, I have one purpose in mind. I know that some of you have a vocation, but make that vocation your avocation. Your vocation must be to declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I want to tell you something. I know it gets discouraging at times. We're going to get into why it gets discouraging and how we can get over that discouragement, how we can have victory in that area. But it doesn't make a difference how discouraged we tend to get. We've got to go back to the fact of obedience. Jesus said, this is why I chose you. This is why I ordained you. Now I'm telling you, you go. We have to go out with the seed. Look what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. By the way, up till now, I have not seen anywhere in here where it requires a Bible college degree to do what I'm telling you to do. You only need to be redeemed. You only need to be born again into the family of God. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verses 1 and 2. Paul said to Timothy, the young man who loved the Lord, I understand he was barely out of his teens. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. That's a pretty hard charge, isn't it? I'm putting it right at the top authority. What? What should he do? Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. I know there are many people that like to go to churches where they tell a lot of stories, where they give a lot of illustrations. But when Paul was talking to Timothy, he said, preach the word. Teach faithful men, who in turn will teach other faithful men. We need to preach and teach the word of God. If people get the word of God hidden down their heart, they're either going to run from it or they're going to embrace it. And this is condemnation. The light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Neither cometh to the light lest their deeds be reproved. You and I cannot stand under the light of God's word very long, but what we're either going to be moved one way or the other. We're either going to get mad or glad. We're either going to say amen or oh me. We're either going to be happy or miserable. It's important for us to understand that this is the calling. This is the purpose of God for our lives that we must go out with the seed. And the word of God is the seed. Again, it doesn't mean you have to memorize the whole Bible, but it does mean you need to be studying the Word of God, hiding it away in your heart, memorizing Scripture verses, and then when you find a verse that's precious to you, memorize that verse so when you're around, you'll find that the Word comes out of your mouth when you're sharing with others. Why? Because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible says it pierces to the very dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You might be thinking one thing and you quote a verse to someone the Holy Spirit will come into them from a totally different direction and they'll be crumbling down in front of you because the Spirit of God has convicted them of their need. I want you to see when you begin to operate on the Word, using the Word, that you have all the forces of heaven behind you to reinforce the things that God put in your heart to say. I've known of times when I have just almost accidentally shared a word with someone and later have them come back and say, I was absolutely devastated. I got down before God and I asked Him for cleansing and I asked Him for forgiveness and now I'm going off the Bible college. I just thought, well, I said a verse or something. Well, you see, it wasn't me. I can't go around saying, see what I have done. You know? No, it was the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and causing it to go right to the very core of a person's need. I'll tell you something. 
I'd rather somebody read any story they want to to me if I'm away from the Lord than to come and bring the word to me because I mean it is sharp. It cuts past all the, the fronts, all the facades that we want to hold up. It can cut right down to the very core. And God says, you take that seed now, I've given it to you, you take it out and you plant it. And without me, you can't do anything. It's got to be the word. You abide in me and my word abide in you. Whatsoever you do will prosper. Father, I pray this morning that we'll understand that it's not our Christian testimony that converts the lost. It's not some philosophy that we may believe. It's not even the love that we manifest to those round about us. We can't even win other people to Christ with persuasive rhetoric and arguments and debate. And I know that people aren't going to be impressed by what we necessarily wear or how we walk or talk or our social status or, or even the lack of a social status. It's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. And I pray this morning that there will not be one of us but what will say, Lord Jesus, I want you to control my life by the power of the Spirit of God. I want to be a witness. I want to be able to declare clearly there was a time when I was blind, but now I see. I've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And Father, I pray then that they'll take that truth, just that truth, and be bold to share that I have been born into the family of God. I'm a Christian. I'm a new person. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then let the Holy Spirit use that to influence others around about us. Father, just don't let us be satisfied, Lord. Don't let us be content to continue to just be. I pray that we'll begin to believe that you're going to move this area through us. That you're going to influence those around about us by our witness and testimony and the Word of God operating through our lives. Father, that's why you called us, Lord Jesus. That's why you ordained us. And then you commanded us to go forth. I pray that we'll understand that with the power that you have available to us, that none of us need to go forth with fear and trembling. We can go forth boldly declaring the Word of truth, knowing that if God be for us, who can be against us. I ask you this morning, will you just open your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm available? Will you just say this morning, Lord, loosen my tongue. You made my tongue. You made my mind. You made my heart. Take the fear of man out of me this morning. We ask him to do that. Take the fear of what people think right out of me this morning. I don't want to have... You said the fear of man is a snare. And I pray that you'll give me a holy boldness to share the gospel with those around about me, that I will be a soul winner, that I'll be a witness for you. That's the desire of my heart. And I pray, Father, that we'll not just decide in our heart that that's what we want, but we'll decide in our heart that we're not going to be satisfied with anything less. That Jesus Christ is going to be in charge. And we're going to say this day, I give to the Lord. I'm going out to my avocation, but my vocation is to make Jesus known to others around about me. Lord, fill us with a holy zeal. I pray that we'll not get set in our ways, but we'll come back to that first love and say, I'm going to be that witness the Lord told me I'm supposed to be, so that when I step out of this life, I'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' precious name we ask you. Amen. Being fruitful and reproducing, Psalm 91.12 says, The righteous are like the palm tree. And you ever want to do an interesting study? Some years ago I preached on that. I may preach on it again someday. But the palm tree has some interesting features about it. One of them is that it bears fruit all year long. Secondly, it bears fruit right on up into old age. The older the tree, the sweeter the fruit. And the scripture says the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. And God's word talks much about the principles of sowing and reaping. And we said last week, first of all, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Matthew 9:38. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest field. His harvest field is the earth, and we are to be laborers to go forth. John 15 says that we are under his authority and that without him we can do what? Nothing. How many of you know that if we've repented of our sins and trusted Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we can never again say that we are without him? He says, I'll never leave you orphans. I'll come to you. I'll, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you understanding. I've sent the Holy Spirit to teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. So he has already given us the equipment and the tools to do the work 
if we'll only use those tools and that equipment. Secondly, I said, the Word of God is the seed that we're to sow. And the Word of God is absolutely indispensable. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I want you to know, the Scripture says, how can they hear if we don't go and tell them? We've got to go and tell or share the gospel with those around us. You and I have to speak it out. You and I become the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around about us. One way or another, he didn't say you might be witnesses. You are witnesses, whether you're a bad one or a good one. But the Lord wants us to be good ones for him. Then we said that every seed sown does not always result in the salvation of a lost person. That's not our responsibility. We are to be laborers. We are to be witnesses declaring that which we know by experience. And we're to be good stewards of the riches of God. Some saints expect fruit every time they preach, every time they declare, every time they witness and testify. When they don't see it, they quit. I want to tell you something. Paul didn't have that experience. Jesus didn't have that experience. He didn't say that everyone we witnessed to would respond, but he said for us to continue to witness and to be faithful and steadfast. And the absence of a positive response is not a failure on our part. God said in his word, My word shall not return unto me void, but will accomplish the purpose wherewith I have sent it forth. And Jesus gave the illustration of the sower that went forth to sow the seed, and out of the seed that he sowed, 75% of it didn't become productive. Only 25%. But he didn't say, quit sowing seed. He said, keep on sowing seed, and recognize that if you only had 25% of the ones you witnessed to, you're going to have a good crop in the days ahead. Now, I talked about the fact that many saints think that they should have a warm reception from people, a nice, gentle response and reply and rebuttal whenever they present the gospel. But the Word of God is very clear that that's not so, isn't it? He said that you're going to be hated of all nations. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be tried. They're going to say all manner of evil for, for my sake and the gospels. Now, if you're not talking about the gospel, if you're not sharing Christ with them, you're not going to get that response. This last week after I preached this, I was had to go get my car fixed, and I was at an electrical place, and as I stand there talking to another man that was waiting also, I found how the Lord just opened the door for me to begin to present the gospel to him. He was from a Catholic background, and I said, you know the Lord isn't impressed whether it's Catholic or Baptist or Methodist, but the important thing is that you know the Lord in your heart. And he began to tell me what his weaknesses and his problems were. I said, you know, what you really need is to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. He can change your life. And time and time again, I kept, he kept talking about the son. He was having trouble with his son. I said, that son can never be any different until you invite the Lord Jesus Christ and let him change your son from the inside out. Now, that man didn't respond right then, but he started listening to what I had to say. And now all I did was what? I planted a seed. That's all I did. Was it a failure? It can't be a failure. In that day when I stand before God, if that man never hears again, he won't be able to say, you didn't tell me. The next thing I want to talk about is if you're going to get involved in sowing and reaping, you have to know where all the credit belongs. Who gets the credit for the harvest? Look with me at 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with the 10th verse. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the... Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He's actually saying that there be no splits in the church. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions amongst you. There's strife, there are debates causing divisions. Now I say, this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I have baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing 
the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now remember, however you present the gospel, in natural terms, it's foolishness to the unsaved. The only thing that's going to cause it to have power is when the Holy Spirit takes it and uses it and applies it to their hearts. But God calls it, Paul calls it the foolishness of preaching. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Remember the Jews came to Jesus and said, if, if you'll just show us some signs and wonders in heaven, we'll believe. They weren't looking for a crucified Savior. They were looking for a conquering Savior. That's why they turned him down. And the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see not your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh not many mighty, not many noble are called. He didn't say not any, but not many of them. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Now, let me just stop a moment before I finish this chapter, and let's go back. Let's go back up here to verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling... I'm sorry, 20, verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Do you feel like you're not very wise? Do you feel like you don't have a lot of worldly knowledge? That you haven't got a great education, or you're not very eloquent? God has called you to use you to confound the wise. He didn't call the wise. Many times I said, Lord, look at all those other students in my class there in Fremont, Nebraska. You could have called them. They were straight-A students. I mean, I just slid through. I didn't study. I didn't work out. Why did you ever call me, Lord? One day I read this and I said, oh, that's why you called me. The foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I see now. Why? So there will be no boasting when we get to heaven. There will be no boasting. It's not us. But it's the Lord. Then look at the next one. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You ever felt weak? Ever felt helpless? Ever felt like things were out of control? God called you for that very specific reason, that you might confound the mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Have you ever felt absolutely worthless and useless and like you just couldn't do very much? I don't know about you, but this encourages me when I realize that God did not pick me because of my talent, my ability, my eloquence, my strength. In his mercy and grace, he called me that by using me, he could confound those that are wise. Well, who does that guy think he is? I mean, what did they say of Jesus? Hey, who does this guy think he is? After all, he's just one of the carpenter's kids. I mean, I've seen him down there in the, in the carpenter's shop, and look, he really thinks he's something now. No, you see... When you and I stand before someone, we can tell them, you know, we're like John the Baptist. We're just a voice. We're just a voice. Are you thou the one? No, I'm just a voice. In fact, with the one that's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe or tie his shoes at all. So I'm nothing. In fact, he must increase and I must decrease. You see, God's ways are an antonym to the world's ways. He says, I'll take the things that are nothing and I'll make them something. I'll take the things that have no capability of their own and I'll empower them. And the world will say, how did that work? How did they do that? How am I going to encourage you to realize that God called you exactly like you and I are this morning? He said, now if you just get the word of God down in your heart, if you'll begin to pray in the spirit, if you'll begin to ask the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit and you'll ask the Lord to give you a new boldness and not to be afraid of men and you speak the word, I'll stand behind you and I'll reinforce it. And people say, how is that guy doing that? Why? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know, when I find a truly great Christian, I find a humble Christian. I've worked around people, and, and I've used this illustration before. I, 
went to a church in Minneapolis one time, and someone told me there was a man there that was teaching Bible studies during the noon hour to businessmen and having a tremendous effect. And as I was walking down the hallway of the church going to see the pastor in his office, this man came walking down the hall, and I reached out my hand and said, I believe you're such and such. Yes, I am. And I said, I, I've heard a lot of wonderful things about the work you're doing right now. His response to me, well, whatever you heard doesn't come close to how great it's been. I said, oh, okay. He said, it's really been dynamic. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And I walked on by and I thought, dear, Lord, help us all. Whatever you've heard isn't near as great as it is, as it's been. And I said, Lord, you said if we humble ourselves, you'll exalt us. If we exalt ourselves, you'll humble us. It wasn't, it wasn't within three months from that time, the man was put out of the church, went to another church out west, started helping that church, and ended up being thrown into court and I think he went had a, even had a jail term afterwards. Now, you see, it would never work for that man to get to heaven with the attitude he had. The Lord had to show him that he was absolutely nothing. Now, if you're starting off with that, you haven't got a problem. But the minute you start witnessing, if you start seeing success and you start saying, whew, you know, I'm pretty good at this. You look out, you're in trouble. Why? All the glory is going to go to God in his, when we stand in his presence. I do not believe Joshua is going to be walking around with an arrogant look on his face. I believe he's going to say, all the glory goes to God. All I did was obey and do what he told me to do. I mean, I could have walked around seven times around any other city in the world and nothing would have happened because the only reason it happened there is because I did what God told me to do. I mean, I, I don't think Moses is going to be there with his cloak and saying, hey, I want you to see this is the cloak that opened the Red Sea. He probably went around and beat that, that thing in front of a bunch of other water the rest of his life and found out it didn't work. The only time it worked is when God told him to do it, and then there was a response. See, it wasn't Moses that was powerful. It was the God of Moses that was powerful. It wasn't, the, it wasn't Joshua that was powerful. It was the God of Joshua that was powerful. Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you. I have given you the authority. I've given you power to go and witness and declare. And when we stand before him in that day, we'll throw our crowns at his feet because he receives and deserves all the honor and all the glory because it's not by might nor by power, but by thy spirit. By my, by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. Now he said, we're foolish, but he's made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory, what? In the Lord. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. Paul says, who then is Paul? You know, they were just saying in chapter 1, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. He said, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, I want you to watch that phrase, because it comes three times in the next few verses. So then neither is he that planteth anything. What are you? You're nothing. If you're sowing the seed, you're nothing. Well, I've got to be great. I've got to have an education. I've got to have, no, you know, you're nothing. It's not you. It's the Lord using you right where you are. Neither is he that planteth anything. Neither is he that watereth. But what? God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now watch this. If you and I then do not labor, what? We don't receive a reward. You see, some people say, well, I'm saved and that's all necessary because I want to get into heaven. I want to tell you something. We're going to stand ashamed before him in that day if we've missed the total calling, purpose of God's calling in our life. Come unto me, all you that are laboring and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest on my soul. Now go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Ye shall be witnesses in, unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Study to show yourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the purpose, that's the calling of God for the, all of us who are nothing, that he can be everything. You understand that? That's the principle of sowing and reaping. We have to understand who gets the credit. We do the work and he gets the credit because he empowers us to do the work. 
First of all, he privileges us to even be called into the work. You say, well, I was never called into the work. If you're saved, you were called into the work. See, my job is to be an equipper. Your job is to be an effectuator, may I use that word, one who takes that which is received and propagates it to others. You know, again, I say, it, all you have to do is be one step ahead of someone to be a leader. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, let me just ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, but how long have you been saved? How many years? How many crops have you seen come in? How many souls have you personally had an opportunity to lead to Christ in the years that you've been saved? Well, I'm awfully busy. I, I've got, no, I, you know, I'm in this, I, no, cotton, no, 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 don't, don't make excuses. You're living and breathing. You have to shop. You have to work. You have to make contact. You have to get gas. You have to, how many people have you had an effect on to where maybe, maybe you didn't see them come to Christ personally, but through your influence, you saw them come to Christ down the line? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to get you to see here that he says every man's going to receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, some people will be held responsible for much more than others. But all of us are responsible for being faithful and witnessing. If you witness the rest of your life and never see anyone come to Christ, but you're witnessing, you'll receive a reward. You're sowing seed. And that's the thing I want you to see. If you'll keep sowing seed and keep sowing seed and keep sowing seed, sooner or later, one seed somewhere has got to, even by mistake, fall into some good soil and come forth and bring forth fruit. I mean, no one is so lousy and poor that, but what some seed has got to come forth sooner or later. But even if it doesn't, if you've been faithful in sowing the seed, you'll receive a reward. But the question is, are you aware of the fact that the Lord says that's going to determine our reward? if we've been faithful in that area, sowing and reaping. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husband. Now, he's just talking to the church of Corinth, of course, not us, right? Or is he talking to us? Every born-again believer is part of the work of God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul says the foundation has already been laid. You and I add to that building now. Through our sowing and our reaping. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, Today, through many man-made schemes, there are a lot of churches who get people to come to an altar or get people to sign a card to make some kind of, quote, decision, get them to say, yes, I believe, even baptize them immediately, and make sure that they sign a, a card to join the church and get them just as busy as they can in that church. And many churches today are filled with religious people who do not understand what it is to be born again because there's never been repentance. There's never been the assurance that their sins have been washed away and that they are now children of God responsible to help build the kingdom of God. And we have to remember that you and I are not converters, we're carriers. We take truth and we bring it to someone else. We're the Lord's servants and whenever a soul is saved through repentance and faith, we rejoice with God. We thank the Lord for His faithfulness, for His work in the life of that individual. See, I can't convert anyone. I know this much. I can't even change you. I can only declare the word, and if the Holy Spirit doesn't change you, I'm dead in the water. Send my saddle home. I'm finished. If the anointing of God, when I'm praying for before I preach, I just simply have to say, Lord, I give myself to you, body, soul, mind, and spirit. I put on the helmet of salvation, the, the breastplate of righteousness, and my loins girt about with truth, my feet shot of the preparation of the gospel. Lord, I take the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm going to pray in the Spirit, but I just submit myself to you. I resist Satan and all of his hosts and ask that you enlighten my mind and give me the proper words to declare that the Holy Spirit can take those words and bring conviction. And I really say, Lord, make me sensitive to the leading. By the way, when I, when I say this to you, be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That, that isn't something that preachers have to do. That's something that every Christian should do. When you get around anyone, if you're in a filling station or a restaurant or where you're working, so, Lord, use me today. Give me wisdom. And as they're even talking to me, if there's something you want me to say back to them, if there's something, please give me a word to say. If it's a scripture verse, fine. Or if it's something I can say, it'll make them start thinking about it. Lord, please give me wisdom. Please use me. I really want to be used of your spirit. 
And you can do that under your breath while they're talking. You know, most of the time, though, we're, we're just so taken up with the other things, we forget the main reason we're there, to share with others about Jesus Christ. I know of a mechanic that used to work on an on a, a inner island boat up there in, by Alaska, going over to the Aleutian Islands up there. And when he'd pull in, men would come up on his boat and sit and watch him repair the engine. And when he had hit his thumb or something, he'd say, praise God, that hurt, bless the Lord, that hurt. And some of the men later on said they came to Christ because of what happened to him when he had hurt his hand. They knew what they did when they hit their thumb. And he said, that guy's got something that's genuine because I can't help him. When I hit my thumb, I, other expletives come out of my mouth. You know, and, and while he would be working on that motor and engine, these guys would be talking to him. He'd be praying, Lord, give me the right words to say this. Show me so and bang, out, praise God. You know, that was the right thing to say because that really hit him. See, the Lord knows exactly what has to be said. You have to say, Lord, you give me wisdom. I'm foolish. You give me your wisdom. Show me how to reach this. You know, you know something might come into your head. You think, why should I say that? If it comes in your head from the Lord, say it. It may be exactly what they need, and you don't understand it. I've told you before, and I'm trying to get this across to you, that it's not difficult if the Lord does it through you. The pastor who had prayed and prayed and prayed with his attorney and his wife to come to church, and they wouldn't come and wouldn't come. Well, one Sunday morning, he's up on the pulpit, getting ready to get up to preach, and sure enough, who should walk in but this very prestigious attorney and his wife, and sat down about the third or fourth row right in front of him. He thought, bless God, this is wonderful. And he got up, and he, he really wanted to give him a good sermon that Sunday. He preached with all of his heart, and then gave him uh, an invitation to raise their hand afterwards. And at the same time, he had a retarded young man sitting in the front row of his church that always wanted to witness and always wanted to testify and embarrassed that poor pastor so many times. And so when he gave an altar call of those that wanted to come forward and accept Christ, what should happen? This man, this young man turned around and saw them. And the pastor's heart sank, oh no, dear God, no, I bind him in Jesus' name. No, no, let him, no, no. And of course, the young man walked right back, stepped right in the pew in front of these two people, said something to them, and they went like this. And he said something else and walked over, sat down, and that attorney and his wife went out that door just as red in the face as they could be. He said, oh, no, after all these years of witnessing, it's killed. He got home and told his wife, he said, I can't believe this. And he told her the story, and, and the phone rang, and this attorney says, can you come over here, please? Yes, sir, I'll be right there. He got there, and they were sitting there and said, you know, we, we really want to know how we can invite Jesus Christ in our heart. He said, really? He said, yeah. He said, well, what happened? I saw this young man walk back, and, and I'm really sorry because... We have a little difficulty with this young man in our church. He said, well, don't apologize for him. He said, he walked back, and when we didn't raise our hand, he said, do you want to go to heaven? And we said, no. And he said, well, then go to hell. And he just turned around went back and sat down. Well, now, the attorney wanted an argument. He was used to an argument and a debate. That fellow wasn't going to give an argument. you want to go to heaven? No. Simple answer then. Well, then go to hell. And went right back and sat down. He said, we walked out there so mad, but on the way home we said, you know, He's right. If we don't go to heaven, we're going to hell. He said, Pastor, we don't want to go to hell. We want to go to heaven. How can we accept Christ in our heart? Now, that's the foolishness of man. God made wisdom out of it. And that attorney got saved. See, we got all these things conjured up in our minds that we have to be so eloquent. No, we just have to be led by the Spirit of God. I wonder how that pastor prayed the next time that young fellow got up and talked to someone. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 3, 7, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. If you'll just keep that in mind, you'll know that if someone does get saved through your ministry, you and I cannot take the credit for it. I look back with so much thanksgiving to the Lord for the scores of young people we've seen down through the years of our ministry come to Christ. Elderly people too. I, I thank the Lord for Brother Minshew over in this little room next door, uh, Lorette's father, 80 years of age, came down the aisle one morning on a Sunday morning, and he said, Brother Webb, he said, I have been serving the devil for 80 years, but as of this morning, I'm giving my heart to Jesus Christ. I want to serve him the rest of my life. Now, that was a miracle. But you know something? Pastor Joe Webb did not do that. The Holy Spirit had to do that work. I imagine there was probably many, many years of Sister Minshew and Lorette praying for that man and the other sisters praying for that man and praying for that man and praying for that man. The fruit finally came in. Now, you see, Pastor Webb could say, boy, let me tell you what I did this last night. I mean, you talk about a miracle, an 80-year-old man coming to Jesus. I'm not that stupid. It's the Holy Spirit that did that work in his life. Now, these same young people are out winning others to Christ, and I'm thrilled because I'm going to get a little piece of that. 
You know, we talk about interest, earning interest somewhere. Have you ever talked, do you understand what compounded interest is? Anybody understand what compounded interest is? Simple interest, if I gave you 10% simple interest, it means if you loan me $1,000, you would get $1,100 back at the end of the year, simple interest. And the next year, you'd get $1,100, well, actually, you'd get $100 interest a year on it. But now compounded interest, if I took $1,000, the first year, you'd get $100. And then the next year, you get a thousand, I mean, 10% on 1100 And whatever that is, 10% on that total amount the next year and total amount the next year, uh, it multiplies very, very quickly. You see, when you win someone to Christ and they win someone to Christ, that's compounded interest. It's not simple interest anymore. You can't take the credit. Well, let me get something across to you here. Now, if we can't get the credit when people come to Christ, then why do we take the blame when people refuse to accept Christ? Some people walk away totally dejected, tail between their legs. Well, this doesn't work. There's no sense in doing it. I, boy, this is so embarrassing. I mean, no results whatsoever. If you can't take the credit when they're saved, then why take the blame when they don't come to Christ? If you tried to say whatever the Holy Spirit showed you to say, then leave it there. When you plant a seed, you don't go out and dig it up to see if it's growing. You just have to say, Lord, make the soil good. And when you begin to witness to someone, pray for them first. Lord, prepare the soil in their heart. Lord, get their heart ready to receive the word. The Holy Spirit can go to that person and begin to prepare their heart and put a hunger in their heart for the things of God. You see, we are not, again, let me say it, we're not converters, we're carriers. We take what we have and carry it to someone else. If they want it, fine. If they don't want it, that's fine too. Jesus said when you disciples go into a city and you begin to declare the gospel, if they won't listen to you, he didn't say quit. He said shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next city. And if they don't listen, shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next city. Turn to Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. Ezekiel 33. Again, the Lord, word of the Lord came unto me saying, came unto Ezekiel now, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, he took not warning, his blood be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people not be, be not warned if the sword come and take any person from among them, he's taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. He didn't say save them from me. He said he didn't say you were going to convert them. He said just warn them. And however they respond to that warning is their responsibility. Turn on over to Jeremiah. Turn back to Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. And I'll show you why you don't have to worry about it if you present word, the word to someone. Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? You present the word of God, and if their heart's as hard as a rock, God can smash it. If there's a wall that it won't break down, God can burn through it with his word. But the important thing is that we deliver the word. We sow the seed, and if people get saved, praise the Lord. If people don't get saved, they're the loser. But don't stop. God wants to see you and me become carriers, witnesses for him, declaring the truth of God, sharing the gospel with others. The, you know, we should be constantly having to refill that track rack back there. That track rack back there, we, we should have people coming around saying, we're all out of track. Because that's something anyone can do. Lay a track in a bathroom, lay a track in a restaurant, lay a track anywhere, give it to a friend and say, I, here's some tremendous news that transformed my life. I'd love for you just to read it. And if I can help you further, let me know. Most anybody can do that, no matter how insecure they might feel. But the most important thing is to realize that God has called you and me for this very purpose. To be watchmen, to warn. So there's a lot of things here that you and I can do to witness to other people. I, I just heard uh, Kennedy the other day, Dr. Kennedy from Presbyterian Church, talking about the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ and no other book like it on earth. He said he had a man figure out the odds of just four of the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Christ ever coming true, like Bethlehem was not even on the map. 
And here he said it was not only Bethlehem, but Bethlehem of Ephrata, which is like saying Lake Mary of Seminole County, specific. And all Four different prophecies, and the man figured out, he said it would be like covering the whole state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars and marking one silver dollar and blindfolding a man and tell him to walk back and forth from one border of Texas to the other, and whenever he wants to stop, reach down and pick it up, and it'll be that one dollar that was marked. These are the chances of four of the prophecies ever coming true. Those are the odds. And I won't even get into what the odds were for 45 of them. It just blows your mind. We have a message to declare. We don't have to apologize. Anybody can be one who is a, a watchman for the Lord. And just sow a seed. Who knows what, what when they leave you, somebody else will sow another seed. And they leave them to sow another seed. And after a while, they'll say, God must be trying to talk to me. But if you don't do it, who's going to? May I encourage you to do that?